Welcome to the Building the Cooperative Classroom podcast, the official podcast of the Johnson & Johnson Cooperative Learning Institute. Welcome to another episode of Building the Cooperative Classroom. This is Adam Rubichek. With me, as always, is Derek Swistak. Hey, hey. And Aaron Fleming. Howdy, howdy, howdy. That was not Espanol. Uh, los Audi, yo digo. Muy bueno. So this is the second of our mini-series on face-to-face interaction. Uh, we are rounding out our Essential Elements big series. And um, so in episode number two, we're going to talk a little bit about some of those observables. And uh, you might say, isn't it really easy to see if your students are sitting face-to-face? What's the point of observing that? Uh, but I think Aaron has some interesting thoughts about what are some interesting twists you can you can put on this and um, how you really involve the students in the process. So I'm going to stop yammering and I'm going to toss it to Aaron. I quite enjoy your yammering. Can't say that I've used yammering in a sentence for a while, but um, let, let's talk about that face-to-face I'm gonna, interaction. I'm going to make yammer happen. <laughs> Do you know MC Yammer? Wait, never mind. Long story. Well, let's talk face-to-face interaction and what does it look like and maybe even a little bit about what it sounds like, which might sound odd. But let's start with that first one, which I think uh, part of it is is pretty easy to observe. We really want students to be knee-to-knee and eye-to-eye. I want you to think about when students are knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye, they are looking at each other. They are the focal point. As opposed to, I think when we said in our last episode, when students are in those ro- in those traditional rows, right, the focus is on the teacher, it's on the whiteboard, it's on a big screen, but it is not um, a focus on each other. So that is a big message that's being sent right away to students. Um, but really with that, that knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye, you're creating a space that hopefully students can't hide in, right? Because we're, if Derek and, and Adam, if, if we're all looking at each other, knees pointed toward each other, really is kind of hard to hide. Now, if I do find some way to hide, well, I hope that Derek or Adam, because they are within that physical proximity to me and can uh, you know observe me and see what's going on, it's going to be easy for them to help bring me back into the mix, of course, with some of those social skills that we've been teaching. Interesting thought, when you have students knee-to-knee and eye-to-eye, it's, of course, easy to talk to each other. But imagine, what are the other scenarios that sometimes people have students, you know, or how do some teachers have students sit together? How hard is it if you have three students seated side by side by side? Can the first person talk to the third person? Uh, look no further than an old episode of Seinfeld for that one. But it's, uh, it's very hard, right? Now, uh, we could have students side to side, and I would tend to say that that probably looks more like a pair. And more than likely, that's with a shared resource of probably some sort of, you know, either a Chromebook or some sort of one-to-one device. That's pretty hard if you're going to have students share a screen if they're knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye. But in a pair, when they're side-to-side, they can certainly both access a screen. Um, 
So what does it look like? It looks like students are knee to knee and eye to eye, not side to side, not in rows. Derek, Adam, any thoughts on what that should look like? I think it's always going to depend upon your actual physical space. Most of us are not in control of how much space we're given or even the furniture that's in our room. Um, so we have to, you know, I remember that Aaron, you and I both advocated quite strongly and it took many, many, many years for us to actually get furniture that was conducive to the rooms that we have. And, and we're very thankful that we got to that place, but it, it took a lot of asking and it, it took a lot of showing like what we could do with that space if we imagined it. But I think you need to work with whatever, whatever space you're given um, and, and to make it look more and more. So if you need to, if you got really heavy tables and you need to push those off to the side and get rid of them and just have chairs, that's, that's a thing you can do. Um, uh, if you need to get rid of some tables and take on a desk instead, I did that for a while. I had big chunky tables and wanted them in threes and I would grab some desks back and was able to make that work. Um, whatever you need to do, to be able to make the space work for you. Well, and here's a great question related to that. And, you know, I'll throw it back out to both of you, but what about, I, I really would love to set up my classroom in such a way where desks are, are paired together or in pods as soon as students walk in the room. But the teacher with whom I am sharing my classroom says, no way got to have it in rows. What advice do you have for anyone that's going to encounter that? This sounds like more of a uh, historical than a hypothetical. It's very easy to have the students move the furniture themselves. And I think there's something powerful in having the students, as we talked about last grade, be, be sort of in control of their movement throughout the room. And so if the students are making the choice, and it's directed by the teacher at first, but if they're making the choice to take the desks, take the tables, and put them together an arrangement that makes them closer to their peers, I, I think they have a little more investment in that situation. It also sends a little bit of a message if we have the students move their furniture back at the end of the period to say, now we are finished with class, we're finished with this task, and we're gonna go back out there into the world. But while we were in here, while we were in this learning community, you know, we wanted to be close to each other and we valued each other. So as irritating as that can be, and, um, and, and really just a, it feels like a time suck sometimes it really can kind of put a button on this time that we have together as a, as a class is valuable and important. Something that uh, Adam taught me, which was that you don't have to have kids. Um, you don't have to have kids break the room down and, and break it back. There is no tradition. The traditional setup of a classroom is not necessarily the norm. So if if you want to rearrange the classroom and somebody wants to rearrange it back when they get back into their classroom, there's nothing wrong with saying, well, this is how I'm going to set things up. And this is how you want to set things up. Then, then you can move things back too. So you don't necessarily have to take that time at the beginning and end of class. Administrator dependent, obviously on that one, but uh, that, that, that's something that I learned from Adam to be quite honest. And I was, it was a very freeing to be like, you know what? You're right. That. Yeah. But one, one more thing I want to put a button on um, as far as sort of the, the observables when we are having students work knee to knee, eye to eye, is that we want to be conscious of what barriers are they putting between them, even if we're facing each other. If there's 
two desks between students, if there's a big lab table, if students are have every book that they've ever owned stacked on uh, the table between, between the two students, it, it really gets in the way of those face-to-face -face interactions. So I think we need to be careful and we need to be cognizant of what messages are we sending to our peers? And is this a time in which we need a blank surface in front of us? Or is this a time where it's okay to have all of our resources in front of us? Or is it a time when let's move the desks or tables completely out of the way and we're sitting in two chairs with nothing uh, there? And so again, with everything, we have to be purposeful in what those choices are that we're making. I love that you bring that up, Adam, uh, because the only other thing I think I would add to this would be maybe a couple more of those barriers. Go into any high school, any adolescent now probably has some uh, some AirPods, some sort of wireless head headphone headset. I'm old. I think I don't know what to call them, <laughs> but we talk about the messages that we send to others, and of course, we know your posture can say a lot, just your, your general motions, uh, your, your hand motions, your head nods, those sorts of, those, those sorts of, you know, nonverbals can really send a good message about how in tune you are with your group, but what's a barrier? Maybe leaving those AirPods and even if they're not on might say, you know, I don't know if Derek's listening to me right now or if he's listening to a cooperative learning podcast by three really cool dudes. Uh, maybe he's listening to music. I don't know. So that could be a barrier, right? Or, you know, the old, like I said, slump down in your chair, you know, not just not showing an interest. So, you know, all things that I always try to communicate to my students, like when you sit down, I want your partners to feel like you value the interaction that you're about to have more than maybe you value what you were listening to in the hallway on your way here. And of course, and then I think it is important too, you know, for the times where we do balance, you know, that individual work, that's the time where you can pop those back in, listen to a little something if that's, if that's your groove and, and do that. But when you come in, you sit down, show your group what's important. And uh, that is definitely a looks like. I think the important thing to remember there too, though, is, is just, and this is something that I learned from David Johnson, just to always keep it in the positive, like talk to your kids about why you're doing those things, show them the skills that you're developing, talk about what the norms are for different parts of classroom and why those norms might be established and get them to agree, like building that classroom community you don't want to just say, hey, every time you come in here, make sure your AirPods aren't on. And I think we've all been guilty of that. Um, you know, probably Aaron was guilty of that when he was first a teacher of like, hey, take your Walkman off. No cassettes. I don't want to hear the little whirring of the cassettes, like, you know, that kind of thing. But keep it in the positive. Talk to kids about why. And that opens up conversations just about like what's appropriate and what's not appropriate given different situations. And with that, I think we can put a uh, put, press the pause button on this great conversation because, again, we're getting really close to implementation. And um, I think Derek's going to lead us through a discussion next week on what are some great ways that we can get our students working face to face in the classroom. So until next week, let's cooperate. Thank you for listening to the Building the Cooperative Classroom podcast, the official podcast of the Johnson & Johnson Cooperative Learning Institute. 
Please check out the show notes for all relevant links, including a link to our Twitter account and the Cooperative Learning Institute webpage. This podcast is copyrighted under the Creative Commons license, copyright 2021. Theme music, courtesy of Jimmy Ryan.